When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I want to talk to those of you uh, before we start the show today who have been listening to Commons as they have been telling the stories from long-term care and how we got into this situation to begin with. They've been telling these stories for over a month now. It's not easy listening, but I think that what they're doing speaks to kind of like a fundamental principle of journalism, which is just that we have to bear witness to what is happening to the most vulnerable among us. It's hard on top of everything that everybody's experiencing to hear these stories, to hear these voices, but you know, it's harder for these things to happen to you. And at a minimum, we need to pay attention and that can have really important impacts. And we're starting to see those impacts. I'm asking you to support Commons. If you have been listening to Commons, if you value what they're doing, please go to commonspodcast.com and uh, give them five bucks a month and you'll get ad-free episodes and you will get bonus content from them. But really, more importantly, you will be supporting them as they move to a much more aggressive publishing schedule. They've been putting out an episode every week and as they just stay on top of this unfolding crisis in long-term care, commonspodcast.com. Go do it. Erica Eiffel, Hill Times columnist, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, joining me from Ottawa. Hello. What's up? Erica, this is What's Up. Today, we're going to talk about the Toronto Star's new owners, a Maxime Bernier supporter and a Conservative Party donor. But don't worry, it's possible that they do not actually have political principles at all. <laughs> Evidently. We're going to talk about our weary nation that has been united in its blistering contempt for Toronto's hipsters. How dare they picnic? <laughs> and the return of our much-beloved segment, Am I the Asshole? Welcome back to the show. Great to be here. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Riza Edizal, Marie Hannafin, Aaron Showalter, Nicholas Chalk, Haley Gray, Lila Bridgman, Paul Smerick, and Keita. I'm an artist, small business owner, and stay-at-home mom to a toddler. I support Canada Land because they provide so much information to our beautiful country in a news media landscape that's otherwise lacking. It's important, especially in these uncertain pandemic times, when I'm looking for true information to have a source that I can trust. Canada Land is that source for me. Plus, Jesse's full of snark and sass in so many ways that I can relate to. 
All right, Eric, this took everybody by surprise, I think, or almost everybody, as you'll hear. Nordstar Capital purchases Torstar and all of its holdings for $52 million. Jordan Bitov and Paul Rivet are the private equity guys behind this Nordstar Capital. And uh, it's purchased the Toronto Star, the Hamilton Spectator, other dailies, other weeklies, other holdings. Uh, you know, the biggest daily newspaper in Canada, one of the biggest newspaper chains in Canada. Big news in media. What'd you make of it? Look, I think for Torstar shareholders, it's like manna from heaven, right? We're at like, what, 15 years into peak internet? And a lot of these media companies haven't really made much stride in those 15 years. So I'm pretty sure that Torstar shareholders are just elated that they have this like albatross off their back. As for the Canadian public, I don't like media concentration in general. I think it's what's killed media in this country. I actually think media died before the internet in this country. It was just, you know, we hadn't seen the, the corpse yet. But media concentration is a problem. And my question is, you know, where does the Competition Bureau stand on this one? Oh, God, that's that ship is, I mean, you know. The, I know. Like I it's, know. it's uh, where, <laughs> wow. It's it's like I mean I think the word toothless uh, has been used. It's like they're not even gumming it anymore. They're, 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 you know, there's not even any. They, weren't they investigating? They raided the offices. Like that ship has. Uh, I mean, yeah, th you're absolutely right. You know, there are supposed to be me mechanisms in our system, but the mechanisms just don't seem to be working. What I want to do, Erica, is try to answer some questions because I think that. The immediate response from everybody is like, what does this mean? Is this good or bad? Who are these guys? What's going on? And so we've been kind of just like working since this news broke to figure out everything we can mm -hmm. about these new owners. And um, I'll tell you what, what we figured out so far. I won't pretend to have all the answers or to know if this is good or bad, though. I think I know. First of all, as you said earlier, this was like kind of it was good for the shareholders in that they overpaid, you know, like like yeah. Torstar stock was trading at 35 cents a share on Monday. And th these guys paid 63 cents. So that was good news if you are unfortunate enough to own uh, Torstar stock. You know, that's manna from heaven, as you say. However, 10 years ago, it was $10 a share. You know, this was a billion dollar company. Mm. So, but sure, I mean, you know, to get a premium like that, nobody saw that coming. So that was good if you, if you had yeah. shares. Yeah. And by the way, somebody knew that. Because somebody before this was announced was gobbling up Torstar stock when it was still around 35 cents on Monday before they released news. So somebody knew something was up and they bought enough Torstar stock that they spiked the share price up to 48 cents on Monday before we knew about this acquisition. So no. in any event, these guys, these guys overpaid and they, and they wanted everybody to know that they overpaid. They made a big deal in their messaging about this acquisition that they overpaid, they presented it as proof, not only that they're like presenting good shareholder value, but they, they very explicitly position this as evidence that they're not here to turn a quick buck, to flip the star, that they are in for the long haul. And in their messaging, they use the term patient capital. You know, that was kind of like their main note about how they rolled out news of the acquisition was sort of like an anticipation of the two questions that you could you could count on the public tip to be asking and journalists to be asking and Toronto Star employees to be asking, which is like, is this just another vulture fund? Is this just another golden tree asset management thing like what happened with Post Media? So, you know, like, are these guys just buying Torstar to pick the bones and sell it off for parts? Or the other big fear, the other big question was, is this an influence play? Is there agenda to turn the Toronto Star and uh, its other assets into right-wing organs? I mean... You know, uh, take the last progressive newspaper uh, chain in Canada and turn it into a, a mouthpiece uh, for the Conservatives. Those are the first two questions I think everyone was asking. Mm -hmm. I um, So just for clarity and transparency, we have a... We as in Bad and Bitchy, we have a subscription to the Toronto Star. You don't have to disclose your subscription. That's, That's not a fine. conflict of interest. No, but I was going to say something afterwards. But I interrupted so you. So I'm, I'm disclosing. I'm disclosing this for a reason, okay. <laughs> not okay. because I think I do something wrong. But there's a reason we we choose our media carefully, okay? And I think a lot of people do. 
And so from a consumer standpoint, when I hear the Toronto Star is being bought by two guys, one of whom I keep saying bit love in my name, in, in my head, it's bit of or something, bit of, I don't know. Like, I think that, you know, in terms of the way we choose media, we choose media to inform us for our show. We choose media to inform us for our columns. I don't think some media understands how media is even consumed anymore, right? I have to say, uh, if Toronto Star is just going to go right wing, I think that's just silly from a market standpoint because the National Post has pretty much taken up that mantle and has the connections to do so. I'm sure this guy, this bit love, bit of, bit of, and the other guy do too. Who's the one in the bow tie? <laughs> uh, Paul Rivette, uh, who I think used to be uh, with Fairfax, Prem Watts's financial. You know, these are like finance. Uh, yeah, yeah. Know. Private equity, finance, yeah. yada, yada, yada. I mean, that's never, there's definitely a huge signal to say, no, 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 we're not going to pick apart this place. And we're not going to pick apart this institution called the, you know, tour star. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see layoffs pretty soon. And I won't be surprised to see those layoffs born by journalists. Here's the other thing that media does whenever it lays off journalists. I'd like to know how much management is laid off with them. I'd like to see those numbers. Yeah. Torstar uh, does not have uh, a very good history in recent years of bearing the burden in management circles uh, that they've made their, their journalists suffer. But that further dilutes the product. So we go back to the quality of the product, right? You've diluted the quality of your product even further when you fire your journalists. Or sorry, lay them off. What does your product become? Do you just become a news aggregator at that point? Like, I, I don't understand what the play is within Torstar. It just seems to me like... If they decide that they're going after the conservative market, it's kind of been taken. I don't think that's what they're doing. Okay. And I think, I mean, and that's not just because I buy their PR. And by the way, they hired a PR firm. Uh, they hired Navigator, which is, of course, the, the, the... Yeah. <laughs> Navigator, of course, being the, the crisis communications firm of choice for conservative party. They have deep conservative ties. It's the crisis communication firm. If you're guilty, they're the place to go. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> They'll take anyone's money. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it was interesting to hire such a conservative connected PR firm to sell the public on a message. And the message was not just the shareholder value thing and not just that this is patient capital that, you know, but, but essentially they wanted to allay the fears that this is taking a turn to the right. They wanted everyone to know, no, 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 no. They released clips of the two guys, John Bitov and, and Paul Rivette, talking about their deep commitment to progressive values and journalism and social justice, they, they name-checked. And the news that the Tour Star specifically, the Toronto Star brings, it, that investigative journalism, that focus on social issues that are relevant to, to social justice and equality and there's definitely an aspect of us being interested in, in Toronto Star because of our, our, our values are very similar to the Toronto Star principles. And then, Erica, they enlisted David Peterson, the former liberal premier uh, of Ontario, David Peterson. He's kind of like, like very explicitly, he's on board as a vice chair and they've got a video of him vouching for these guys. Like, don't worry, my fellow liberals. I know these guys. They're good guys. I know these two guys. Well, I know Jordan, and I know Paul. Jordan, I worked with very closely when I was involved in the Raptors. I was chairman of that bid. It was one of the great contributions of the city, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Paul, of course, is, I think, one of the most sophisticated businessmen in this country. And he's got a wonderful track record. And to put these two guys together is a very, very powerful team. Erica, David Peterson might be many things. Among them, uh, my colleague Archie Mann reminds me uh, he was a board member of a uh, made-up company called YBM Magnex, which was a front for the Russian mafia. David Peterson, you know, he's done a lot of things, but I, I don't believe that he is known as a champion of journalism or of a, a crusading progressive uh, voice. But I think he is somebody who will communicate to liberal party people that the star is still kind of theirs. I think that was the point there. 
Ah, okay. So don't worry, liberals. Big L liberals. Big L liberals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the liberals never met a backroom deal they didn't like, right? So, I mean, (laughs) whatever. I think that, you know, the big question here is like, who buys a newspaper in 2020? And for God's sakes, why? And I think there's only three possible answers to that. Like, your first case is the best case scenario, which would be an angel investor who wants prestige, like a Jeff Bezos play. Like, you know, they don't even right. care. Like, they don't care yeah. if they if they lose a few million dollars a year because that's that's peanuts to them. And maybe they've got bigger sins that they're trying to, like, you know, uh, do something good to kind of cover up or, or, or at least balance out. And at least, you know, then the paper can just do its thing. That's your best case scenario. And I don't think these guys fit that profile. No, but, you know, with that profile comes, you know, like Ben Salman hacking your phone, right? <laughs> like, that's a problem. <laughs> You've got a second category, which I think uh, is like the wealthy idiot category, which is like uh, guys who made their money somewhere else who think that they're smarter than everybody in the newspaper business. And they think that like they've got the secret sauce to make it work. They're going to fail. But, you know, at least while they're trying they're usually good for a few years of steady losses. They're going to throw good money after bad. And that can be like, that can buy you some time because it's like some new money into the organization. That's I think, your second best scenario. And, you know, maybe these guys fit into that category. Maybe they actually think that they and they, like they know what nobody else knows. They know how to make a newspaper work in 2020. But they haven't really signaled that they have any kind of new business direction for the star. At least they're, they're not disclosing it. Yeah. And, you know, what you described, honestly, sounds like, Peter McKay's graphic design team, you know, like, I just imagine it to be like all these bros who are like, yeah, man, we know the internet, man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they fit that, like you said. Um, But like you said, I don't know where they're going with this. Like, are they just going to continue business as usual? Because business as usual is is a failing proposition. I think you got it right, Erica, from the beginning. I, I think that the very thing that they're trying to tell everybody they're not is what they are. The third yeah. category, like if you assume that these guys aren't idiots, the third category, if they're not dumb, if they made an investment because they actually want to make money off their investment, that can really only mean one thing. It is yeah. a vulture play. It's a vulture. Like they might not be a known vulture fund. I mean, they they, they created right. this Nordstar Capital Group just earlier this month for this specific purpose, but there may be like a little baby vulture. They're a baby vulture That's cracking shady. out of the shell. Not That's really. Shady. It's not shady Is unto it? itself. No, because pe- people will start a, like uh, if you're starting a venture, you know, you want to. But it, it has clean. no history. Yeah, that's that's. And it has no history for people to look into. That's why I'm saying it is shady. I'm not saying that it's always shady to do it. I'm just saying that they have spent so much time, energy and marketing telling us how above board they are. Right. Like it just seems off to me. I don't know. Look, there are lots of legitimate reasons why people would just incorporate a new yeah. company to do a clean transaction, but I but I do think that this is such a managed rollout. Here's what Tim Bousquet yeah. said uh, from the Halifax Examiner. He said, no one buys a legacy newspaper in the midst of a global pandemic with the aim of investing in the news business. More likely, the company will be raided for its assets. Anything that isn't nailed down will be sold off. The community newspapers will be consolidated. Lots of layoffs will be announced and the Toronto Star itself will be transformed into an ad sheet, then dumped at the most opportune moment. So, Erica, I think you're right. Looking for layoffs. And it was interesting because they had a town hall this morning. Amidst all of their promises that they care about the Atkinson principles and they care about what they're doing and this is new life and, you know, hope, 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 hope they would not commit to freezing layoffs. Like, you know, there, there was you know, very no. explicitly, it was asked many times and Boynton would not say, no, we're not laying people off. So my suspicion is that we will start to see that attrition and, and it will be it will be picked clean for parts. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, if you look at media in general, weren't there a whole bunch of layoffs at, was it BuzzFeed last week? Could have been BuzzFeed, Erica. They they closed two offices internationally. Could have been Vice. They laid off people. Could have been the Atlantic. You, were, you know, they got rid of 70 folks. Could, could have been a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, is, like I said, I want to see how much, what proportion of these layoffs are management layoffs. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that it's journalists who bear the brunt, and it's not management. Erica, I just want to, like, leave this where I recognize what a lot of people have been telling me for years. A lot of people I know who 
you know, know more than I do and understand more about finance and corporate governance than me have been urging me to dig into Torstar for years. I'm not a finance reporter, but what they have been pointing out to me is like, it's a weird company and it's a specifically Canadian situation where you've got a company that is publicly traded in the stock market, but the voting shares all rest within these like five families. It sounds like the mafia, these five families that actually make all the decisions and any other publicly traded company, it would not be possible for them to destroy hundreds of millions of dollars of shareholder value with no consequences. I mean, for them to go from a billion dollars ish 10 years ago to being worth less than $60 million today, somewhere along the line, heads would have rolled. After the first $100 million, you would have just cleaned house and the whole board of directors would be gone. That never happened. Star Touch happened. No one was held responsible. Maybe Michael Cook, the editor-in-chief, was held responsible for that. But John Hondrick, the chair of the board, member of one of the five families, there's just nothing he can do to immolate value that results in him being held accountable. And he has afforded the privilege of writing this very kind of pompous editorial on the way out in yesterday's Toronto Star, So We Pass the Torch, where he congratulates himself for the longtime financial success of Torstar. Erica, this is a, a repeat appearance for you on Shortcuts, so you know that we note things duly. What do you have to, uh, to duly note today? I'd like to duly note my column, which came out on Wednesday, May 27th in the Hill Times. Last week, uh, Shopify announced that it's going to have its employees work from home indefinitely. And working from home, while sounds sweet, is not necessarily good for women with children. So women with children have an outsized burden when it comes to working from home, domestic and work life come together. And especially during COVID, where we don't have the childcare supports, I think that it's very important to do things like gender-based analyses and equity analyses on your policies for this reason. I have a feeling we're going to get into this uh, a little bit later on in the show in a bit more detail. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Everybody should go check out that column, duly noted. I would like to duly note that Stephen Harper's a big loser. Video uh. surfaced, uh, <laughs> video surfaced of, uh, of Harper when he was on his book promotion tour a couple of years ago. So he was doing the rounds of like online American right-wing media. He was, uh, with Dennis Prager on his Prager U, uh, YouTube channel, which gets like just a ton of traffic. But this, this only just surfaced. And in this clip, you have to know that in Canada, so that's, you know, we've got a little bit of print that's right of center, tiny, tiny bit of radio. You have to know that in Canada, every TV network, we got three major networks, every TV network is MSNBC. They're all MSNBC. Uh, you know, I hear British, the Br British people complain to me, and I've, I've checked this out with people living in both Britain and Canada, complain to me, well, you don't have the BBC. The BBC in Canada would be the farthest right network by a country uh, mile on television. Wow. It's that bad. So in the last election, and look, there are many reasons I lost, but one of them was, last election, they would not cover my announcements. They would not cover any gaffe of my opponent. They scrubbed it out. They actually met every day to coordinate their coverage. They, they would not run any ad I had that showed footage depicting my opponent in an unfavorable light. They simply refused to run the ads. So we literally were censored out of the coverage. And we hear him whining about how he lost the election because the media wouldn't cover him and because the media was uh, left wing. And the thing that really caught my attention was he argues to this American who wouldn't really know much about Sun News Network that because Sun News Network had folded by the time of the campaign, there was no right wing television to cover him. And I think that that must have cost him at least eight viewers. I mean, the idea, <laughs> like, I, I remember Sun News Network and I know how influential it wasn't. And the idea that that would have made any kind of a difference is just some bullshit that he's feeding to, uh, you know, to this American audience. And uh, I guess he thought he could get away with it, given the forum. And I guess he was right. He did get away with it for a couple of years until the video surfaced. So what a loser. That's all. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Erica, I'm glad you're here for this. Uh, we've done this once before. Mm-hmm. It is a shortcut segment where we try to figure out the answer to the question that pops up from time to time. Am I the asshole? Probably. And before you answer, before you answer... <laughs> I mean, go ahead and answer, but there is uh, some context here. Naturally. And it was a tweet of mine that we're going to discuss here. I'm so sorry, everyone, and to you. Okay, we're going to discuss a tweet that I wrote the day that it was announced that summer camp was canceled. Oh. Here in Ontario. And, you know, that was a bummer of a day for parents. And I was just contemplating, I think, what I think a lot of people... And, you know, maybe more, more especially men are really, really recognizing, which is just how much work it is to look after kids all day and just how, how big the, the task, you know, between education and nutrition and just filling the hours and dealing with like, it is just heavy. And when you find out that that summer camp ain't coming, it's just like, oh man. And that is when I tweeted these words, suddenly amazed to think that humans even had children before public schools and summer camp existed. <laughs> you don't have to humor me. It's not that funny. I'm not, no, 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 no. I mean, I know you love that tweet, Erica. I can hear how much I, you love that tweet. I just thought it, I just thought it was like... Tell me. Sorry. Okay. Tell me. Okay, first we, of all, yeah, first of me. all, I'm on the tweet right now. And the first... Reply I see is Elamine that, that has this meme that says, you should have left this in drafts. And I was just dying. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Elamine's a, reply was A very hilarious. original reply from Elamine. Joining a pylon at that point, hundreds of people. I mean, there were a good 560 odd people who hit like, but then I very quickly was getting dragged for it by people who I, I was surprised. Like I, I get dragged for things. And I'm like, yes, I knew that would happen. And I tweeted it expecting that. But this was like a real big surprise to me. The responses I got, I'll read some of them from people I respect who, who, who took the tweet very differently than I expected it to be taken. Aleli Picasso wrote, ah, the good old days where women were expected to stay at home 24 seven. And I'm like, well, no, mm. are, 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 how, how am I saying that it was the good old days? I'm, I, I don't understand. I'm saying that those days were not good. And why would people even have children in those bad old days? But anyhow, she wasn't alone in reading it that way. J. Lauren Johnson tweeted, right? Seriously? 
Let's go back to that sweet freedom we had before children were restricted from working long hours in dangerous conditions, before compulsory public schools, and before okay. women were like, legally persons. That's, that's a bit much. Jen Gerson <laughs> like, wrote, Jen Gerson wrote, if you're a man, if you're a man, I would kindly invite you to stop expressing opinions about COVID-related childcare arrangements. And then she got dragged by like, uh, you know, gay dads. Were, like, <laughs> know. You know, so I, I, I took some comfort in watching her get it. Uh, Bialia, <laughs> Bialia tweeted, this is because women are allowed to work outside the home now, you smug clown. Now, I may be a smug clown, but I just... Am I the asshole, Erica? Explain to me how my tweet, which is about how hard it is to look after kids, was so widely interpreted as a tweet against women or somehow degrading or disparaging domestic work. I, I don't I actually just don't understand. It's because it sounds sarcastic. <laughs> That's it. I guess it's, it is it the sarcastic. word amazed? Like, like when you say something's amazing, you like it. Like, oh, I'm amazed to think that kids had like, yay for those people who had kids before public. Is that how it was read? Maybe I should have said suddenly, suddenly baffled. I don't know. No. I don't know. No. I like you, to offend you people literally, on purpose, not by accident. Yeah, same. Um, I think, honestly, if you put I am in front of suddenly, it would have changed the tone. Like, it's that simple. It's that nuanced. Like, I'm suddenly amazed to think that humans even had children before public schools and summer camp existed. It would be a little slightly different. Now, here's the thing. Speaking of, let's talk about the content and the context of your tweet. It's obvious that it takes a village to raise children. And it's obvious that it takes support. I think before summer camps, you used to have more support around you. You used to have multi-generational families. You used to have people, families living closer together, not on opposite ends of the country, for example, right? That used to be the norm. You used to have churches. You used to have community centers. You used to have a community. But... Over the past 40 years, when we've moved into the, like, this neoliberal economic way of thinking, we have been convinced that those things can just be outsourced and the market will take care of them. It is obvious that that does not always hold. The other thing, too, is that if you really want to think deeply about this, think about the people who usually take care of your kids. They have kids, too. And so, there is this sort of downward shit slide, I guess you could call it, when it comes to who bears the responsibility of raising kids, of doing the, the day in, day out duty, and how that relates to income, how it relates to race, and how it relates to the structure of the family. I think that all of those things, that's what I honestly started thinking when you tweeted what you tweeted. I was like, oh, he's going to get in shit for this one. And then I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, it's Twitter. If you have a mouth on Twitter, if you have a presence on Twitter, you're going to step into it. And you're going to get dragged. That's just Twitter, right? But what those are the things, those intersections are exactly what I started thinking about with your tweet. But that's me, I think, on that level. Perhaps it's not what I said, but the parts that I seemed oblivious to. Maybe that's the thing that, that, that you know? Yeah, I think that's more what it is. I think a lot of women, especially, are really feeling it working from home. I've spoken to a lot of women for the piece that I wrote. The, the research, and not my anecdotal research, but there's research out there that has shown that women do bear the brunt. And I think that's the oblivious part of the tweet. Hmm. Well, I want to apologize to everybody for what they imagined I said. Don't apologize. You don't mean it. Don't, don't apologize. You don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the way that, the way that I like, phrase my apology tells you exactly what I mean. Exactly. I recognize that I, I basically shambolically stumbled into a very sensitive area where yeah. it was just kind of ripe for somebody 
to be the asshole. Yeah. And maybe I provided a cathartic service for people who needed an asshole to drag that day. But I ask you, Erica, so am I the asshole? Yeah. <laughs> Erica, it all started with a kiss. I feel as if masks are not 100% important. Um, I feel as if, if sorry, you want to- Sorry to interrupt. Young woman named Jillian McCone with her small dog was doing a streeter and offering uh, decidedly non-expert advice on uh, public health matters for CTV News when some dude enters the frame and just smooches her. A spontaneous kiss from someone that she doesn't know. Oh my god. No, I met him for a second with my dog. That's insane. Are you alright? Yeah, he's so hot. <laughs> Having met just minutes earlier, Jillian McCowan says she's okay with the kiss. My response was similar to, I think, the reporter who's like, are you okay? Uh, it was similar to a lot of people watching it, like, fuck this guy, what is he doing? But it was kind of notable that that Jillian, in that initial CTV clip, said, like, no, he's so hot. And uh, Text me! she seemed to like the kiss. But as social media outrage blew up around this Irish rogue and his uh, spontaneous kiss, CTV withdrew the clip. They unpublished it and they issued a very remorseful apology. It was wrong to air this video. The video demonstrated non-consensual behavior and downplayed the fact that what occurred was simply unacceptable and offensive. It does not meet CTV News editorial standards and we apologize. So there we heard it from the CTV anchor. It was non-consensual. The video portrayed non-consensual behavior. I'm not so sure. What? <laughs> uh, the Toronto Sun caught up with Jack Ring the Irish rogue who laid the smooch on Jillian. And he says that they were hanging out all day and she gave him her number, which makes sense because later she says, call me. Erica, if two people share a kiss in a park and they both say they liked it and that it was consensual, who is CTV or any of us to assert that it is non-consensual? These are the cases that are nuanced enough for us to actually start thinking about where our positions lies, right? I personally think that, look, to me, the guy looks like a fuckboy. That's just me. I don't know. I don't know the guy. So to me, he looked like he went for it because there was a camera in front of her. You know what I mean? I don't want to take power away from the person who is in the situation. Let's put it that way. This is my sort of standard. We'll let the person to whom this happened, signal to us whether or not um, how this person thinks about that act. Does that make sense? Like, well, the point yeah. is, the, the person to whom this happened to you, it is within their power to decide for themselves whether or not, you know, this is behavior that they find acceptable. And she's been clear on that. Now, now it's been, you know, maybe because the camera was rolling, she pretended to like it or pretended to be cool with it or was just trying to normalize I it, which don't. is not uncommon. But she hasn't. I mean, if somebody's telling you, I want, I like that kiss, call me. You know, they're probably doing it right now. All yeah. I'm saying is CTV, yeah. like then you've got a CTV anchor saying that was non-consensual. It's like, it's a weird thing to weigh in on and say those two people kissing, that's non-consensual when they're saying otherwise. In any event, the damage was done. The video was aired. The smooch was broadcast. And the result was that the very next day, thousands of hipsters streamed into Trinity Bellwoods, hoping to meet their own Irish rogue. And they showed up and then we dragged them all to hell. The photos, uh, Laura Howells, sometimes Canada Land producer, Laura Howells, she took a video where, you know, she tried to do her best because like sometimes those, vo those photos can lie and you can get a four sense of perspective or no focus and it looks like there's more people than there are. She did like a panning shot of Trinity Bullwoods this past Saturday. It was teeming with hipster flesh and it looks like, oh, this is unsafe. Ugh. What are they doing? And everybody- and you know just... they don't wash their legs, right? You know they don't wash their feet or their legs. This is what I learned on Twitter. <laughs> I don't have data. I don't have data, but-, but um, <laughs> But everybody was pretty damn sure that this was just like the most selfish, idiotic, dangerous thing. And they were just uh, decried widely. And Erica, I think I'm going to stand up for the hipsters. Well, now you're the asshole. <laughs> yeah, you, you got ahead of it. You know, just if, if I wasn't, then I am now.
You mm. can tell me uh, if that's the case, but I'm going to make my case here and you tell me, okay? First of all, I'm not convinced that they were uh, breaking. Like, you'd have to have an aerial photograph, really, to know how much space was around them. And people are saying, oh, they were sharing drinks. You know, it looks like they weren't with people from there. Like, we do not actually even have proof that people are picking up COVID-19 outdoors. Like, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. We know that it is possible, but there is no data of, of transmission occurring outdoors. The case has been made by Andre Picard and others that, like, this is what you get when you have a city with no green spaces, no place to go. And I'll point this out. For weeks now, the lakeshore here in Toronto has been filled with people biking and running in single file in the same airstream, huffing and panting. But <laughs> we don't drag them. Uh, like, there's a few tweets again, but nobody has, like, like, this was like a national story of these hipsters. And I think it's because we have associations, we're making like prejudgments about who these people were. They were privileged. They were, you know, rich. If you live in as a 20 something person in downtown Toronto, chances are you like live in a basement apartment and you have to work pretty damn hard to be a member of the leisure class. So I, I'm not really like, it's just boring. And who, what is a hipster? Anyhow, like, do, like all those people were not particularly stylish, I, I would say it's just too easy to make them the bad guys when we're still not even getting close to capacity of testing. I don't know that they were a public health hazard. I don't know that they did anything bad. It's one thing to to pass somebody while running. It's another thing to sit in a sedentary position with someone talking to them without social distancing, okay? I mean, we've been hearing this for weeks. It's not like I don't think that anybody should be surprised at the shaming, okay? Because here's my problem. So I I read who's it Andre Picard, right? Mhm. I read his column in the globe uh and basically he's like don't blame people who gathered in trinity bellwoods blame the city i do blame the city for example why aren't cities closing down like secondary streets so that people Absolutely. can walk around okay mm -hmm. i know they tried to do that here in ottawa but our illustrious mayor who never met a project he didn't bungle said no and I think that's a problem. Also, I remember tweeting in March, wow, when this weather gets nice, people are going to have cabin fever, okay? And they're going to want to be out and they're going to be want to want to be out and about. We should have a plan for that. If I could foresee that, why is it that the people that we elect that have these responsibilities can't, don't, and won't act on it? So yeah, I blame the city. So I are we both assholes now? Come on. We're on the no, same no, page no. now. No, 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 because I'm going to divert from you real quick. While we're on that place, I believe urban planning is just trash. It's just garbage, what we've come up with because of our reliance on the car. And so now to even be close to a park is a premium. You know, I used to live in London, you know, not the one here, the real one. And in London, it's amazing to me that in such a huge metropolitan city, there's like green space everywhere, everywhere on every like second corner, there's some green space. And if they can do it over, the, it's really not that hard. It just takes will. Now that we are acknowledging that the environment, sunshine, getting outdoors is also good for mental health, by the way, then... I agree with you on that part. However, Absolutely. What, whatever happened to harm reduction, you know, like this is actually reducing harm in other areas and like we're mitigating risk. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that they were doing anything wrong. Well, and then I noticed it was a bunch of like, I've never seen so many people like white people in Toronto in one space. I honestly thought it was a clad rally at that point, because honestly, to have that many white people in Toronto in one space is odd. This is not random sampling we're talking about, right? Do you see what I'm getting at here? And so there is a privilege there that law enforcement did not ticket them much for social distancing when law enforcement is targeting more vulnerable communities and the homeless communities giving them $880 tickets for not practicing social distancing. The tickets that were given out at Trinity Bellwood 
were people who were urinating and defecating on streets and lawns. Now, frankly, I don't know who defecates on somebody's lawn, but that's disgusting, personally. That's just gross. But the fact that there is inconsistent implementation of law enforcement in an area that's obviously white, I have questions. I think they're good questions, but I, I here's maybe like where we diverge. You know, you're making some really good points and uh, Shri Paradkar and the star made them as well, which is to say that like this was an act of privilege to congregate like this. And if these had been brown or black people, forget even about the pandemic for thousands of, of young black people to get together in a park, the cops would have been on them in a second. I totally agree. I think that that's, you know, that's a cause for rage, but it's not for a cause for rage at the people in Trinity Bellwoods Park. I uh, will tell you what the right? cause for rage is. Here's the thing. Here's the other part is that who is dying and who is getting infected more. It is those same vulnerable communities who cannot get out. But if they come into contact with one of these people and they're positive, the outcome, the effects would be born on that person more in that community for structural reasons. So that's my point, is that it doesn't end at Trinity Bellwoods. If you could actually demonstrate that they were contracting COVID-19, perhaps. I think that there is a broad injustice that some people can do things that other people can't, and that's just not right and that's not fair. But I don't know that that means that these people shouldn't go and sit in the park. And I think that the, the comparison to a Klan rally, I think that it's misdirected. I don't think that those people are the problem. I think that there are some really big problems no, 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 and we need no, no, clarity no. on, on who, well, what on who I'm actually... Saying, yeah. yeah, but what I'm saying is that it was so white that, right? I mean, even, even like, that, even that, I kind of want to know, do we know that? I'm not saying there were zero people of color there. I'm just saying that that wasn't a mixed group. It wasn't a random sampling of Toronto, you know? Like, I, I agree, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? My point is that there's a self-selection bias into who felt comfortable enough, right, to go out and sit in the park without fear of retribution. But I want everyone to feel that comfortable. I don't, yes. want, I don't want people in Trinity Bellwoods to stop feeling that comfortable. Look, I understand people in a park, okay? I understand that people need to be in a park. I'm fully here for, like, opening up parks and stuff like that, but I don't think that these people should escape any type of accountability, it's a bloody pandemic. Like, am I the only, I feel like sometimes I'm the only one who recognizes that there's actually a fucking global health crisis and our numbers are going up and mm -hmm. I feel like nobody seems to care and everybody's like, yeah, let's just go, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's this kind of attitude that helps these things spread. And my point is, and I don't think that that's taken out of context. I'm just saying that how nice for you that you don't have to think about that. How nice for you that you yeah. can feel comfortable and that's fine. But I don't hear these same people when marginalized communities get unfairly targeted. Where are they to say, oh, yeah, I want you to have the same rights in the park as I do. I don't hear that a lot. I think we're getting to the actual heart of it here which is that this pandemic, oh, we're all in it together, we're all in it together. Oh, that's no, such bullshit. It is not affecting everybody the same. And I think that, like, I'm really glad to be talking with you about this because there's like a danger here of us losing sight of what's actually fucking happening. And this is affecting people who have to live really close together in apartment buildings more than yes. it is people who yeah. have the, the, you know, the privileges that I have. It's affecting people who don't have money. It's cutting along class lines. It's cutting along yeah. ethnic lines. And yeah. there's a problem with collecting racial data around this. The provinces refuse. The province refuse. It's not a right. problem. They actually refuse. So, Erica, I think that this, the images of these people without a care in the world, just kind of like getting stoned and trying to make out, it pushed a, bu a button, maybe like my tweet did. It just was like, it was yeah. just off tone for people who can't do yeah. that. And, yeah. and I think that, that that created division between people who are not necessarily adversaries, who no. are not necessarily taking things from each other. It's just such a gross display of like what some people can do and, and, the, and where some people are at with how they're feeling versus how 
other people are really in crisis right now. And I think we yeah, can't yeah. take our eyes off of like the prize here. We can't take our eyes off of like it's, you know, t- to divide amongst population of like, and what a, what a useless designator. Oh, the hipsters are this, the hipsters are that. There were all kinds of people. And I, you know, there, there were some racial and, uh, you know, class commonalities amongst that crowd. But this was a very, like, it's just a bunch of people in downtown Toronto, many of whom are probably very sympathetic to a lot of the things that you're saying. And I just think it's, it's a big mistake if, if this whole society just turns snitch on each other, we're losing sight of the structural problems, you know? I agree. I don't, you know what, though, but Canada is a country where we are encouraged to tell on each other to the authorities. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, we live in a snitch culture. And I personally hate snitch culture in general. I'm here for for these. Look, when I see that much whiteness in one area in Toronto, I ask questions because literally it's Toronto. Like everybody's a shade of brown at some point, even the white people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. And so, and so that makes me think that this is a specific sample of people is what I'm saying. And apparently there were other parks open, but everybody went to this one. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm telling you, it's too easy. It's basic. I mean, most of the people dragging the hipsters were other white people who just don't consider themselves hipsters. It's just it's just another other. It's just somebody to hate. It's bullshit. But I thought we retired hipster. Isn't hipster kind of over? I guess. I hear it most in dragging of hipsters That's or, or parody or satire or hatred of hipsters. It's like when Andrew Coyne used the word woke for the first time. I was like, well, that's over. You know, (laughs) you can't have that. After the phrase has been coined, it's over. Yeah. (laughs) Touche, my friend. Touche. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Support this show or support Commons. Support Commons. Go to commonspodcast.com and help uh, Commons do the work that they're doing. Email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. We're on Instagram at CanadaLandShow. Where can people find you, Erica? You can find me at WickedChick, W-I-C-K-D-C-H-I-Q, on both Twitter and Instagram. You can find Bad and Bitchy on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.